Hello, I'm Adam and welcome to Tales from the Potting Bench, a gardening podcast where you'll hear tales and stories from the most interesting and different people from the world of both indoor and outdoor gardening. This is the whopping fifth season of the podcast with new guests and brand new stories and conversations with some people that you will definitely know and also some people that you'll come to know through these episodes. I'm thrilled to say that this podcast is proudly sponsored by the wonderful people at PlantGrow, producers of award-winning organic compost, mulch and fertiliser made with zero chemicals. Great for your garden and even greater for the planet. And I know because it's all I use on my garden. Don't forget, if you use the code POTTINGBENCH on plantgrow.co.uk, you'll get 10% off your order. Before we get into this week's episode, I'd like to ask, if you listen to this podcast and enjoy it, then please consider rating and leaving a review on your podcast platform of choice. It's easy to do, takes a few minutes of your time, but it helps this podcast get into the ears of more like-minded, planty people. Well, here we are at the last episode of season five of the podcast, and I thought we'd go out with a bit of a bang. In this week's episode, I'm joined by someone with the most apt name possible for the role that they undertake. You'll no doubt be familiar with the Royal Horticultural Society, the work that they do, and the gardens that they keep. And this week, I'm talking to their president, Keith Weed. Keith talks to me about his passion for horticulture, his own personal garden, and all of his other many exciting interests. And he might just reveal his favourite RHS garden. Although that is a little like choosing your favourite child. Enjoy. So, for anyone who is not familiar with you right now, who are you and what do you do? Uh, my name is Keith Weed, and I am president of the Royal Horticultural Society, or the RHS. But that's not your original kind of route into the world of work, is it? How did you? What did you do before, and how did you become involved with the RHS? So uh, I um, have a business background. Um, I have run various businesses around the world um, and uh, uh, some global divisions and things like that. And I retired uh, in 2019, so the perfect time just before lockdown. <laughs> uh, and I started uh, building a portfolio of roles. So I actually have uh, five uh, commercial roles, business roles, and five charities. Uh, and so sort of 10, ten jobs, but 10 smallish <laughs> jobs compared to one big job, uh, like most people do, which is a sort of a full-time job. Uh, and it's really designed around uh, diversity of things I enjoy doing. So, of course, the RHS is very much uh, the jewel in the crown and one I adore. But equally, for example, I'm a trustee on Grange Park Opera. I love opera as well. So I have a portfolio. But when I was building the portfolio, I was going around and speaking to various people. And um, I was approached by the person who was head of nominations, governance uh, and appointments at the RHS saying, oh, I hear you're building this portfolio. Would you consider the president of the RHS? Um, to which I said yes, very quickly. Uh, I then had to, of course, go through the whole uh, appointment process and interviews and uh, et cetera. Um, and just to reassure all the gardens out there, out of all the jobs I, I did um, uh, and applied for, the RHS interview was by far the most rigorous and long and tough. Um, and I'm a board director of two FTSE 100 companies. Um, and uh, uh, let me tell you, the RHS interview process was even more rigorous. So they, um, they very much wanted to make sure they got the right person. Yeah, I can imagine. So gardening is something that you that you clearly have a love for prior to, to this role, then? 
Yes, I think anyone involved uh, in the RHS uh, has a love of gardening. And let's be clear, I don't, uh, I'm not a professional horticulturist. We have lots of those, but I'm not a professional horticulturist. But I'm a very keen gardener, have been for many years. Um, and before you pointed out, um, I do have a surname of Weed, which could yeah. say um, set me up. But if I tell you, because that's my father's name, if I tell you that my mother's maiden name was Hedges, uh, you can see when Hedges and Weed come together, you give birth to the president of the RHS. Good Lord, that's incredible. That was one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about. I've got a real uh, love for that. And it's it's cool. I, I, I don't know whether you know this, but it's nominative determinism, isn't it? Where your name almost determines your your fate. There's a, there's a kind of a famous... Uh, weather presenter uh, Sarah Blizzard and I always liken liken your name to that it's incredible though the way that's panned out though isn't it yes you won't be surprised that um, uh, all sorts of programs like have I got news for you and others have had fun at my expense but having said that um, I think it's, it's it's better to have the name that fits the job so I'm quite happy with God. it yeah, definitely. So was gardening part of your kind of upbringing as a, as a child? Yes, my, my mother was a very keen gardener. My, my father my father gardened, but my mother was a particularly keen gardener. And she was also uh, a domestic science teacher, which is in, in the olden days, what used to call people who taught uh, cookery and things like that at school. And I had three sisters, but she was very keen that I would be able to cook and be a good cook. I think both her father and brother of a different generation, but her father and brother didn't do any cooking. Um, and so from an early age, she encouraged me to cook. And I still love cooking to this day. And um, my mother gave me a small part of the vegetable patch uh, to to sort of uh, play with. So I really started growing vegetables. I think uh, lots of people start uh, in that very practical way. And from mm. there, other things have grown. But, uh, uh, but we were, yes, a gardening family. You are, yeah. So what's your garden like at, at home? Have you got a garden? Have you got a, a wonderful garden? Um, I do actually, yes. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to, haven't you, Rick? Imagine, imagine saying that you don't. Um, no, I'm very, very fortunate. Uh, I, I've had sort of gardens over over the the years, and and the gardens have sort of got um, sort of bigger as, as as my life has progressed. Um, and now, you know, I, I spend and my wife, my wife's a keen gardener as well. We spend at least a, a day a week in the garden, but in all honesty, probably more than that in in different areas. Uh, and we have a sort of formal part uh, i'm very much into topiary uh, actually planted uh sort of these uh eight big domes with conical tops if you can imagine what that mm. looks like uh and sort of an, an avenue we uh, have a um sort of a hidden white garden which we created during lockdown uh, i have a stumpery i also created during lockdown and we have a wall garden which is on one part sort of formal and has roses, etc. But on the other side is very much a, a functional, productive garden with lots of mm. fruit and veg and a greenhouse. And then um, I have a wildflower meadow, uh, a pond, and I'm sure I've missed something out. Oh, well, yes, <laughs> the border. The border. I, gosh, I tell about miss out. The border is really my wife's territory. I mean, I enjoy it and love it. But it's funny in the garden. We definitely have bits where someone is is more in the lead than than others um yeah, and cool. although we work on every bit it's, it's very clear who owns which bit of the garden in in our, in our garden anyway yeah you don't don't uh tread on the on the territory of another garden as part of the garden do you it's dangerous work that isn't it <laughs> yeah well anyway lots of different parts of the garden um which we enjoy uh and although on one side and say I have a wildflower meadow, which I love, with different paths going through it to walk the dogs. On the other side, I do have the big green lawn, which 
uh, I know attracts all sorts of different comments from uh, people who think you should or you shouldn't. I love a I love a, a British green lawn. I've I've lived in America. I've lived in France. Not, nothing nothing beats the the border mm. running down a wall by by a lawn in in my my book. Now I think there's something about a lawn that's in immediately in front of a border that sets both of them off in their own way, doesn't it? Mm, I think so. It, I think it's the it's as if the the grass is sort of like the the the, the canvas, uh, and mm. then the the border arrives behind it uh, as, as the sort of the the painting, and uh, it sort of it leads you in, and and the, the the sharp edge. I believe you have to have a sharp edge for that for mm. that grass. Um, somehow, is the frame that makes it all all work. Anyway, I, I, I agree with you that it works well, and of course, if you have a wall behind it, then you have the, the opportunity to. Um, build obviously the, the the border up towards the wall without the if you have shrubs behind a border then you have competing and everything mm. so I think a wall behind a, a border uh, does help and yeah then on the other side the back, doesn't it the other side of the wall uh, I, I I was for one of my 50th birthday presents some of my friends came and planted very small espalier apples and I am now uh, more than 10 years older than that and I have to say, they've all joined up on, on, on now six levels, but they still look pretty um, young. Uh, and in the in the wall garden, there are some older ones. And you realise they've been around a long time. So these yeah. are 12 years and they went in already starting as espaliers, but they've got, they've got a lot to meet up and everything. So it's it's now got the full espalier effect. But in all honesty, uh the, the, the thickness of the branches are, are probably two fingers uh, thickness rather than branches. So, really, so wow. patience is needed. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not a it's not a pastime for for those without patience, is it? I think we all we all kind of joke about that though, but it's true. We have to. There's a certain amount of resilience being a, a gardener, isn't there? And I, I often think about this. I was at Wisley not so long ago. Funnily enough, we were there on the same day, but we we didn't cross paths. I I was thinking about how the gardens would have fared during lockdown and and then through you know the various different I suppose climate issues that we've had heat and rain and and God knows what else but that resilience that a garden has has to also permeate into the person that's in charge of those gardens as well doesn't it? I think you have to be fed to learn by doing and. Uh... And I, I often say, if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. So I think failure is part of the learning process. I mean, if you fail too much, it's just disheartening. Uh, and so I think it is good to have some things that you know are going to succeed, like grow some lettuce and things like that. So I think you need to have some bankers. But you also get to learn your gar- uh, about your garden, you know, what works there and what works elsewhere. And I think the combination of making sure you have the, you know, the, the right growing medium, uh, you have a reasonable quality plant and then obviously everything the nature brings around it from the sunshine through to uh, water and, and feed etc uh, you really do need to get all three lined up and um, I think sometimes when people first start gardening they don't realize that so much and mm-hmm. get frustrated but if you keep persisting and, and, and learning then then I think you can progress and and to be perfectly honest this is where the RHS, I think, comes in so so brilliantly well. Uh, and the reason I've lo- loved the RHS for years and years, I, I live quite close to RHS Wisley. Uh, mm. So um, you'll see, uh, if you follow me on social media, uh, I have more RH Wisley than other gardens, but uh, it's only because of proximity. Uh, I, I think what the RHS does so so well, and probably people don't understand that, we're a charity. We're a charity involved around the 
art, science and practice of horticulture, gardening, and encouraging more people to do it and, and to get all the great benefits of gardening, whether that be sort of the physical benefits of being outside and having um, uh, sort of a, a, a sort of slight uh, amount of exercise, you know, digging, weeding, uh, et cetera, or whether it be the mental health benefits uh, or whether it just be the spiritual benefits of nurturing nature and, and, and being having the sensory engagement of everything that a garden brings. And what the RHS does is, is we educate people at all different levels, however you want to be. It's, it's there for you. You'd be surprised how many of the videos that you see on YouTube uh, on how to prune your black cards, or whatever, are RHS videos. I don't think people, a lot of people just go in and you know, watch the video and uh, without realising they are RHS videos. We have a marvellous uh, website of content where literally tens of millions of people engage uh, on that, all for free. Yeah? As I say, mm. we're a chat, all for free. And what we love to do is to try and engage the next generation. So we do a lot of school programmes, which again, if you didn't have a child um, in one of those schools, you wouldn't know about it. But more than half the schools do the campaign for school gardening. We allow schools to come to our gardens for free. Uh, and uh, so again, tens of thousands of school children every year visit our gardens and we do everything right through to helping raise money for the coaches to bring the, the children to those uh, to the um, uh, gardens. And we have special classrooms. So the principle being trying to engage children in the in the benefits. So either going into the schools with the campaign of school gardening or bringing school children into our gardens are, are ways of doing that. And then the whole education right the way through to um, RHS levels, uh, you know, one and two, you know, the, the various courses you can do, um, which I'm very proud to say my son has just passed RHS level two practical hey. and RHS level two uh, theory principles. Um, he's a, a lockdown career changer, uh, yes, hey. which in itself is quite a, a fun a fun story, um, uh, finding your true passion and, and love at a, at a time when it was very challenging for everyone, uh, lockdown, uh, mm. where he certainly couldn't do his his previous job because that all that all stopped. So I think that sort of educational piece, right through to degrees, we're, we're one of the few non-university bodies which uh, which can give degrees. So I every year have a degree ceremony um, with people in in uh, gowns and and hats, and we hand out degrees and we have a nice lunch and we celebrate everyone's success. Then you would imagine that we were actually at a university, but we're at the wonderful large horticultural hall, which I don't know that you know exists, but in Vincent Square, where our head office is in, in London, there's a massive hall behind it. And that in that hall, uh, we uh, have our award ceremony um, for, for degrees and also you know, other uh, awards. So we're a great believer in horticultural excellence. So whether it be awarding people for things they've done or going to a, a show and awarding, you know, Gold RHS Chelsea Flower Show or, or whatever. All all the awards part is really recognizing excellence, and that's the one thing I, I'm very proud to say. Way before I had anything to do with the RHS, it it, it is horticultural excellence at its best, and mm. it's the largest garden charity in the world. There is seriously no, and I've been around the world. There is no flower show that competes at all with the RHS Chelsea Flower Show for its ambition, its innovation, its excitement, uh, its bustle, uh, and from you know, expert nurseries through to wonderful show gardens, uh, or indeed Hampton Court, RHS Hampton Court uh, Garden Festival, where it's that's the largest 
uh, flower show in the world. Um, and uh, again, that gives a very different feel. But in a similar way, we award medals for uh, everything from nurseries right the way through to, to gardens. And I, I think that's sort of, we really strive for quality and horticultural excellence, I think mm. gives the altitude for all of us underneath to then be normal gardeners. I, you know, you're, you're, you've, you've summed up such a, an incredible uh, world of the RHS there in, um, in that. And I, I think you, you touch on the shows there. I think it would be remiss of us to not talk about the shows. And what a year. I know we, I'm sure we say this every year to an extent, but what a year it's been this year for the shows. I think in particular, I mean, Chelsea was fantastic. But to me, there was something about Hampton Court this year i don't know what it was i can't put my finger on it exactly there was something very special about hampton court um i don't know i mean it's not a question as such but i don't know if you felt the same well i i here i have to hand it to the teams we have been working uh hard over these these last few years i mean it in all honesty the the uh the whole of covid and lockdown uh hit so many industries it, not mm. just for six we had to cancel a RHS Chelsea Flower Show. And then we had one in September the following, which was mm. that in itself was a challenge at a different time of year, more of an autumn show rather than a, a spring show. And one of the things that got rattled in all that were the nurseries in the um uh in the Great Pavilion. And what we've been working on with the nurseries year in, year out is to rebuild the great pavilion um uh to to even higher levels. I mean it was it was still don't get me wrong it it was still great that's why it's called the great pavilion but how yeah. do we take it to a different level and I think we've tried that also with um the RHS Hampton Court uh, Garden Festival and indeed uh, our other shows as well we have RHS uh, Tatton and RHS Malvern uh, and I, I would I'm certainly keen to do is to use the shows as another way of engaging people in all things gardening. And so on one side, if you want the sort of uh, wow, shock and awe of uh, an amazing garden that you say, gosh, I wish I could do that or whatever, but to inspire you or maybe frighten you a little bit, I don't know, but inspire you, <laughs> there's, there's the show gardens, I think, play that. But then you can go to the other side, and this is equally important, is go and speak to the nurseries. And you speak to someone there who has a passion an interest, an expertise, knowledge in a particular um, plant uh, uh, or, or whatever, that when you speak to them at the shows, you can just learn so much so quickly in a short period of time. And uh, and also you know, buy some some, some marvellous marvelous products because I'm afraid, as you probably guessed, you know, all plants are not created equal. And uh, a plant that you get from... Uh, uh, sort of a, a mass cultivated plant on one side versus something that's been nurtured in a specialist uh, nursery. Uh, there, there is there is a difference, uh, and mm. there's a price, but you, uh, as as so often you do, sort of get what you pay for. So I think the great thing about the show's environment and engaging with the nurseries there is it gives you a chance to experiment in a way, frankly, you couldn't uh, unless you got in the car and drove around the country. Uh, so most of us go to our local garden centre or supermarket or, or, or whatever. But the show experience enables you to then see uh, another aspect of the horticultural industry. Uh, and I think that, that that plays out well. So uh, I think at either either end, and then, of course, everything else from garden furniture and uh, uh, and statues or whatever, for your whole garden experience, 
is there mm. to show. And that one-stop shop, uh, I think, is quite unique uh, and, uh, and makes a wonderful day out. And uh, uh, I have to say, I love it. The RHS Chelsea Flower Show, uh, I, I'm there on the Saturday uh, before uh, the, the gardens are finished. I'm there on the Sunday. I'm there on the Monday. I'm there on the Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. And the only day I don't attend is, is the Saturday, the final Saturday, because come to the end of Friday, I think I can probably take the Saturday off. But for me, it's a, it's a, a full week. And, of course, we have breakfast in the morning, uh, fundraising breakfast, because we're a charity, um, starting at 6.30, and we have dinners most evenings. So I, I put on quite a lot of weight, um, <laughs> and uh, I, walk, I walk until I drop, but it's, uh, it's a marvellous week. You need to do that walking then by the sound of it after all those yeah. dinners. <laughs> the amount of miles you must put in over the, the over that week it must be insane. Yeah. But the great thing about the, the breakfast and the dinners, I, I said it's slightly tongue in cheek, but it enables us to invite people to experience um uh the Arches Chelsea Flower Show in a in a different way. And of course, it, the, the only way uh we continue to exist uh, as a charity is we need to raise funds. And we we are, are very lucky we have um, many members and that contributes uh, people who obviously pay to come to the gardens or the shows and that contributes uh, and indeed uh, fundraising is incredibly important because all the school programs the apprenticeships etc but the thing to remember that when you're paying money to the RHS uh, you're not this is not going to a company uh, we don't make profits you know, every penny that comes towards us ends up funding the charity uh, mm. and we could keep uh, funding the charity and you know, any surplus we have, we then reinvest into other programmes with that ongoing mission to uh, take gardening to more people. Wonderful, wonderful. So we've talked about the shows, we've talked about your garden. We haven't really talked about the gar- the RHS gardens themselves. And you, you mentioned about Wisley being kind of in close proximity to you. And this is an awful question. I'm so sorry. I have to preface this with, a, with an apology because this is kind of a bit like, me asking you to choose your favorite child or your favorite pet if you had to choose a favorite garden what would it what would it be you, you can't well, answer can you <laughs> well I, I can tell you what my favorite parts of the different gardens are that's can, a good idea I certainly, I certainly can't because um they are all different and they're, they're all on a sort of uh a different scale as well mm. very different histories and in different parts of the countries so they have different climates they have different origins the, the thing about RHS Wisley uh, is that it, it started as an innovative garden. So mm. uh, when people see the big house, they think that's the, the stately home of the garden. It never was. And it, it, it is called the old laboratory because it was the laboratory. So the house at Wisley was built as a laboratory. It's there to innovate. The garden is there to innovate. If you haven't been recently, go again. It changes mm. all the time. So it's not like, um, dare I say, going to a stately home where they preserve the wonderful historic gardens and and uh, and give you a feeling of how it's been for many, many years. Now, all our gardens change all the time. So you can go and learn and see different things because they are working gardens. They are not a snapshot in time. They're not a, a piece of history. They are uh, a living laboratory. So mm. what I love about uh, Wisley is, is very much that. We have our, our new science building which we only opened a couple of years ago which has uh, an amazing investment i'm a great believer is i want to keep that clear blue water of horticultural excellence for the rhs so we're investing more in horticultural science 
as far as gardening science is concerned, no one invests as much as we do, the RHS, in the world. And we're very keen to make sure that we keep that uh, real expertise, that leading edge. So, for instance, uh, the challenges right now about moving out of peat um, in the in the garden industry, we're investing a lot of money uh, with PhDs, etc., to find the solutions to help the industry move out, and of course ourselves and uh, and our own sustainability strategy behind it. So, the thing I love about uh, Wisley is it, you really feel you are at the innovative heart of something uh, magical, mm. but. You have the the old rockery of the original uh, Wisley there, yes. You um, so you have the sort of the the new things going, but then you also have a wonderful apple orchard. So mm. it's that contrast of of the new and innovation. You know, three new gardens around the the, the center of the, uh, the science building, the uh, the head of, of gardening science, home of gardening science, uh, and then on the other side you have some very uh, traditional parts of the garden. So I'll give that a tick with a little bit on the sort of the science innovation side. Mm. If I go across to Hyde Hall in Essex, uh, well, first of all, they have a uh, um, a, a, a wonderful sort of a meadow and it, it is also a coronation meadow and my meadow is a, a coronation meadow uh, as well at my home. Uh, and so I think there's, um, uh, I, I love their, their, their work there. And I also love that they have frustrations and disasters and mistakes just as I do so basically you know in those situations you know gardening mis- misery enjoys company so when you're having a, a frustrating time it's great to see someone else's as well but I also then you know uh learn to get they have very different different soil um and temperament from where I am I'm, I'm on sort of acid clay um uh with a sort of sandy loam but having said that um I think what's most interesting uh, about there is is they have this wonderful dry uh, garden and uh, they don't have an awful lot of rain and they've really planted that. So in this spirit of climate change and understanding how gardening is changing, moving again as a as an innovation, as a growing, as a learning, uh, they've done a lot around uh, dry gardens, which is interesting. And also, they, what's nice about that, they're surrounded by big fields and it's wonderful. Mm. You climb up onto. Uh, uh, as you go towards the uh, the gardens up a hill. So there's, again, got different uh, aspects. If I then flip across to um, Carlo Carr, uh, for for example, uh, we have a, a major, um, I think we call it stream, but I think it's more like a river at times, uh, <laughs> that, that runs through the garden and the planting down the side of that. So we don't really have that anywhere else um, into the same degree as we ha- have there. So that gives a different aspect. Um, and and Rosemore, hey, you can't do anything but love their productive garden. So there's again lots to I would talk about with with RHS Rosemore, but uh, when you go and see the fruit and veg, you realise that you can do an awful lot better uh, at fruit and veg, uh, and they certainly have a a wonderful uh, uh, fruit and veg. They also have quite a fun um, stumpery, uh, which. Uh, sort of inspired a, a lot of the 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 work I've done on, on my stumpy in my garden. So there's, um, yes, I think you can say in, inspire or steal ideas. Either I think it's yeah. okay. It's the, uh, let's go for inspire. It sounds yeah. it sounds more more noble. Let's make <laughs> let's make gardening noble. Uh, yeah. And then of course I've got to end with with Arches Bridgewater because if you can possibly believe we've already um, uh, had um, you know, hundreds of thousands of people through the door. Um, it's quite quite extraordinary the 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 impact it's had. So this is in Salford near Manchester. 
Uh, it, like Wisley, it's very large. You know, the sort of the, mm. this is the circa 150 acre type garden. Uh, at its heart is um, uh, a, a sort of uh, a big, very large uh, walled garden, uh, which on one side has the paradise garden, the other side has uh, a productive sort of uh, a fruit and veg garden, uh, and then it has this wonderful uh, stream which comes down from a higher lake to the lower lake by by our welcome building, uh, which we've done a lot of work with the local uh, Chinese community because the chi Chinese um, um, streamside gardening. And what's what uh, garden? What's wonderful about that is we now just recently uh, brought in some uh, wonderful uh, Chinese buildings there uh, as well. So you get this feeling which reflects, of course, the large Chinese community in Manchester. Um, uh, another different feel. So, uh, you know, in, in, in Bridgewater, I love the wall gardens, but I also love that sort of the stream garden as well. Uh, and still all thought to do. They've also got a wonderful uh, play area there in, in the woods. So um, different aspects. So I will call out my favourite garden is the melange of all those highlights. So oh. it doesn't really exist. There you go. <laughs> I, think, I think of all the people that we can allow off, then I think it's you. I think that's fine. Well, that's so that's all of the RHS gardens. And we've we've touched on your garden a little bit, but I've now got three, I suppose, quick fire questions that are kind of more about you and your and your garden. Um, are you ready? Oh, I'm always ready. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. OK, question number one. If you were to start your own garden again from scratch, where would you start and what might you change? Well, I suppose the first thing I'd, I'd say is um, which is that great saying, you know, the best time to plant a tree is 30 years ago or today. So I think I probably would have planted more trees and hedges in my first week, um, mm. my first year. Um, I did, because I, I I know that, and I, I did, so I, I told you about these um, wonderful yews, and I did plant some trees, but actually could have done more, could have done better. But actually, that, so that's one which I think probably many might ask questions. I think the real answer to that question is, is I probably should have had an overall garden plan. So I have to confess, uh, my garden is, is a sort of appeared by by sort of step-by-step um, -step osmosis. Mm. Uh, and uh, <laughs> and we've, we've added things in and moved them around. And I'm sure any self-respecting uh, garden designer from RHS Chelsea Flower Show would look at my garden and say, oh, no, 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 that, that doesn't work. But uh, it works for me. Uh, so, works for you. But it, yeah. it, it's evolved over time. We don't have a grand plan, uh, no. but uh, we have a, gr a grand, uh, uh, exciting garden in, in, in my eyes. And that's all that matters, isn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It's a natural evolution. I like that. Lovely. Question number two. What is your favourite scent in the garden and why? That's a super question. I'm a, I'm a great believer in, in all things sensory. Uh, I love uh, in a garden the colours, the textures, uh, the scents. I, I love the the, the uh, seasonal ones. So the, the freshly cut grass, mm. the damp leaves in a wheelbarrow, um, the thing uh, with the walking into the, the wall garden and getting that big bam of uh, roses uh, because it's sort of held a little bit into in there, but I would probably have to go for um, the uh, the scent of, of tomatoes uh, in the greenhouse. And when you were trimming and cutting and picking tomatoes, there's something about tomatoes. Maybe it's back to the origins of of my garden uh, roots being in in vegetables and things like that and fruits. That I think, um, yeah, the smell of smell of tomato plants. Lovely. And the final question: Why does gardening bring you such joy? 
I think it's, it is, it's a very exciting uh, area, which on one side, as I said before, gives you that get out and do something, a little bit of exercise, a little bit of moving around, uh, creativity, making something happen that wasn't there before, stimulating the senses, etc. But then on the other side, it's very peaceful because uh, it's a quiet time uh, if you're by yourself, whether it be on houseplants and sort of uh, doing something in, inside the house or outside, potting up things, whatever. There's a sort of peaceful thing about it. But it's that nurturing nature which brings them both together, that sort of wonderful, peaceful side of, of doing something in the garden. And then that creative side of, of making something happen, all together in nurturing uh, nature. And I what also love is it, it has, if you want to, it has a community aspect. I mean, I, I haven't, in talking about the RHS works, I haven't talked about our community uh, work, which I'm sure my community team are going to say, Keith, you spoke all that time on that podcast <laughs> and didn't mention the community. But no, you can do stuff together, whether whether you're uh, uh, with, with, with friends and families or, or going out and meeting people in the local towns and villages. So I think it has, it has a social side, it has a, uh, a very um, quiet personal side. I think it has a little bit of something for everyone. I think it's hard to beat, you know. I think, I think if you can find joy in gardening, you will be happy for many years to come. If you'd like to find out more about the RHS, you can of course visit rhs.org.uk. And also, if you'd like to follow Keith Weed on social media, you can find him on Twitter as at Keith Weed, and you can find him under the same username on Instagram, at Keith Weed. Gosh. So we've arrived at the end of another monumental season of the podcast, with wonderful guests, conversations and insights into the minds and thoughts of some of gardening's most well-known and also lesser well-known characters and faces. Over five seasons we've delved deep into their inspirations for what they do, no matter what their role is. Designers, gardeners, writers, presenters, social media sensations and houseplant aficionados and more. All with a common passion for one thing, plants. I'm thrilled to say that plans are already afoot for season six and I'll be back in the new year with that and so much more. As always, thank you for listening, subscribing, reviewing and supporting this podcast and helping it become a chart-topping success. Without you, the listeners, this really is nothing. And thankfully, because of you, this is very much something. In the break between seasons, I'll be bringing back the mini podcast, complete with updates on my garden and what else I'm up to and much more. But until then, if you're not already, you can follow me on Instagram at viewfromthepottingbench to see what I'm up to in my garden, visit viewfromthepottingbench.com to read my blog, and you can also read my fortnightly column in Amateur Gardening Magazine too. All that remains is to say thank you again for listening, and I'll see you again very soon.